God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us, be also now between us a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Believe it or not, when I was a kid, I may have told you all this story before at some point or some of you, when I was a kid, I wanted to learn how to whistle really badly, and that is part of the reason why I whistle a lot. You'll hear me around. My father whistled, and I wanted to whistle just like him, and I tried and I tried, but I couldn't manage to do it very well anyway. I also loved white bread. Um, now, now, that seems, trust me, we're going to connect these in just a second. Um, I, the list of things I love. Um, I loved white bread, and I, what I would do as a kid is I would take the center out of the bread. I would take the crust off and would just eat the white portion of the bread or the bread part of it, not the crust. And so what that would do is I would then leave these pieces of crust or strips of crust all over the house, on the kitchen counter. If I was watching television in a place where I'm eating where I shouldn't be, there would be crust in the sofa and all of these things. And so there was crust all over the house, which created, I'm sure, controversy um, with my mother particularly. So one day my dad sat me down and he said, you know what, you really want to whistle, don't you? I said, oh, yes, of course I want to whistle. He said, you know what will help you whistle? It'll actually make you whistle. Eat the crust of bread. <laughs> so this uh, foray into child psychology backfired very badly for my parents. And instead of eating the center out of bread, I began eating only the crust. <laughs> and so I would begin to leave these giant pieces of white bread all over the house. And so my father finally sat me down, and they were somewhat flummoxed and said, forget it, it was all a ruse, you know, it's not going to help you whistle. And so whether my parents intended it or not, they created somewhat of a skeptic. Prove it. Show me. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. You remember what you told me about the crust on bread, right? And I stopped short in my skepticism. It's kind of like the crusty old newspaper editor who was talking to a young cub reporter about always verifying your sources and getting down to the bottom of whatever somebody tells you. He said, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. I didn't go quite that far. But we are all like that in one way or another. We have these seeds of doubt that come into our minds that want people to prove it to us, usually because of an experience that we've had at some point or another in our lives, whether as children or adolescents or as adults. They say, I read an article in the Atlantic Monthly last week that is talking about the measles epidemic, or that is becoming an epidemic. It's not an epidemic yet, but what they thought was eradicated two decades ago has had a 300% increase this year alone in the United States, measles uh, outbreak, 
And they have said that the reason why we have had this is because of the failure to immunize children. And so even in the face of overwhelming evidence of why it is good, why you need to do it, all of the, all of the evidence and the science that is there, there is this seed of doubt, even among people who know the facts, that keep them from believing, that keep them from immunizing their children. A seed of doubt can become very powerful indeed in our hearts, in our lives, in our beliefs. And I see this seed of doubt among the disciples in today's gospel. The disciples were huddled in fear, and I would even hold out to you today that even after Thomas joined them, they were still huddled in fear. The door was still shut. They were certainly not out in the streets shouting, Alleluia! The Lord is risen! Come and follow us! to a new life. They were still sitting behind these closed doors for fear of what might happen to them. I mean, they had witnessed Jesus being crucified. They had to have thought, well, maybe this would happen to us too. So there was a certain amount of fear, even though they had already had resurrection experiences, even though they had already heard of resurrection experiences, that the Lord lived. And then we have doubting Thomas. He doesn't really doubt any more than the others, does he? I mean, he asks for proof, but they're also huddled behind closed doors. And yet he gets the nickname, doesn't he? Thomas wanted proof. Show me, right? Show me. If if it's true, I want to see the scars. I want to see his pierced side. I want to see the scars on his hands and on his feet. And so Jesus comes. It says he appeared among them. Jesus comes to them. First, he breathes his Holy Spirit on the disciples. It is the Pentecost moment in John's Gospel. We always think about Pentecost happening when the Spirit descends like doves and tongues of fire from heaven in Acts 2. But in John's gospel, it happens shortly after the resurrection. He breathes his Holy Spirit on them. And now he is with Thomas and he comes and he shows them his scars. And I can imagine him saying in a kind voice, with a smile on his face, Come, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Do not doubt, but believe. And when Thomas sees those scars, he says, My Lord... And my God. And this is from the same Thomas, the Thomas who's now had this kind of new reassertion of faith, who earlier in John's gospel, before he doubted, he said, Let us go that we may die with him. Let us go with Jesus. He was filled with vigor, filled with power, ready to die with Jesus. He goes through his moment of doubt. And now he has a faith restored, experiencing the presence of Christ. They say that doubt is the front porch to the house of faith. And we are really no better than the disciples, are we? No better than doubting Thomas. Because we doubt and we have our questions. 
We go through that doubt across the front porch of the house of faith into that house, but we also come back out of it and in and out of it. It's in our genes, isn't it? I mean, Jacob himself struggled with God on the banks of the Jabbok River. It's where he got the name Israel, which means one who struggles with God. It has marked our relationship with God almost from the very beginning. And although many don't believe it, God can handle our questions. God can handle our doubts. We, like Thomas, vacillate between a willingness to die with Christ and a show-me attitude. But the disciples, they show us what to do in many ways. Surround yourself with people of faith in the midst of those questions, in the midst of that doubt. Thomas didn't go off to be by himself. He didn't go off somewhere else. Thomas, although huddled in the room behind a closed door, was at least with his disciples, his other disciples, his friends, those who were walking this way together. Surround yourself. Be in church. Be with other believers. Include those with questions and doubts, those who don't always see things as you see them. Right? Thomas doubted, some believed, but they were together walking that way of faith. And remember that God is with us. He breathed his Holy Spirit on the apostles, and he breathes his Holy Spirit on each and every one of us. Okay, that's great. Let's sit down, right? Amen. Sermon over. But there are still times when God seems distant. I was at the funeral on Friday of a very good friend who lost her son. And one taken so untimely, I think everybody in that space thought, why? Where is God in the midst of this? Whether it's reversal in life, tragedy befalls you, the loss of a child, the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship, whatever it is. Maybe it's just an ordinary Tuesday where nothing has happened. There is no tragedy that you can see, and yet God still seems distant in some way. Something causes us to join the psalmist and even Jesus himself on the cross who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And maybe this day, you don't know how you feel about Jesus. Maybe you're unsure for whatever reason it is. Well, the overwhelming good news today, the overwhelming good news this second Sunday of the resurrection of Easter is that Jesus is sure about how he feels about you. There is no question about that. The gospel says Jesus came and stood among them. I mean, it didn't say that he knocked three times on the door, does it? Hello, anybody in there? It didn't say that he barreled through the door, banging it open. It didn't even say that he miraculously kind of floated through the wall. He came and stood among them. 
And the way I interpret that is he was always among them. He was always with them, but that seed of doubt kept them from seeing his presence all around them. And he comes to them, even in the midst of their doubt, even in the midst of their blindness, and he shows them his scars, and he gives them his peace, and he comes to us as he came to them. Jim Monroe says that there is a scene in the movie Slumdog Millionaire, the 2009 Academy Award-winning film, that he says sums up the gospel. It's a spoiler alert. But in the last minute of that film, you have this young man and this young woman who have loved each other since the time they were children, but have never been able to be together. And separately, they have experienced incredible trauma, incredible scars in their lives. Horrible things have happened to them. And they have never been able to be together, but now across some rail tracks, she is standing on a platform and he sees her and he comes to her. And you think, oh, cue the music. They're going to embrace and kiss and it's all going to be happily ever after. But he comes to her and he holds her somewhat at a distance. And he looks at her scar, because she received this one scar down the side of her beautiful face. And you can see her bow her head almost in shame. And he leans in, and he kisses her scar. And that is what Jesus does this day for us. The scarred God comes to us in the midst of our locked rooms, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our hopelessness, in the midst of our ordinary daily lives. And he shows us his scars and he kisses ours. So believe it or not, whether you're sure about Jesus or not, Jesus believes in you and Jesus loves you. And Jesus is sure about you. And this day he comes to you, scars and all, and gives us the opportunity to cross over and to join with Thomas and all of those who went before the scarred masses of humanity and to say, my Lord and my God. Amen.